welcome to the King's Crowd Startup Investing Podcast. On today's episode, King's Crowd CEO Chris Lestrino welcomes Tom Licks, founder and CEO of Cleveland Whiskey, as well as a pioneering user of online private markets. In today's episode, Chris and Tom discuss what Tom has found positive and challenging about raising capital from the public, how Cleveland Whiskey has grown while building extreme customer loyalty, and how Cleveland Whiskey has used raising capital to grow their business, invest in technology, and support the public during COVID-19. Well, Tom, thank you so much for joining us today for the podcast. I am extremely excited to be chatting with you. Um, We have been in conversation and talked with one another many, many times throughout the years since the really the beginning of the Reg CF markets. Uh, And it's been amazing to watch your growth alongside the growth of the industry, the Reg CF industry in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so today I'm really excited to have a conversation with you, Tom, about your founding at Cleveland Whiskey um, and your inspiration and experience in, in, in raising capital from the Reg CF markets. Sure. Uh, so with that, I'd love to kind of throw it over your way to uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself, Tom, for those who don't know, and uh, what you guys are building at Cleveland Whiskey. Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, you know, right, you're right. Uh, we have seemingly known each other since the beginning of uh, regulation crowdfunding. So it's sort of the life of this whole market. Uh, and it's been an interesting ride so far, and it's changing constantly. Um, you know, Cleveland Whiskey is sort of something that came about uh, a couple of things sort of blending together, most notably the idea that uh, the market was expanding dramatically and that People, as they entered the middle class, they were buying affordable luxuries around the world, and they were not just affordable luxuries, but conspicuous affordable luxuries, things they could share with their friends. It turns out that imported scotch and imported bourbon was being sold alongside the upticks in the populations of, uh, of the middle class in China, you know, throughout Asia and Africa, and then sort of uh, Europe came along in terms of going back to brown spirits. The U.S. came along as well, and there was this tsunami of market demand, a shortage in some of the early days. And as a, um, uh, I'm sort of an amateur chemist. I'd like to say that you know, if I was, a, I'd be a real chemist if I had a better attention span. I simply don't. But I'm an amateur chemist, and I thought, you know, here's a business where uh, you can't crank up production like cornflakes or computer parts if you can make it faster and make it better using some technology. And they hadn't changed that industry in, in generations. Uh, I thought it'd be interesting. And so I started experimenting in my basement, blew up thousands of mason jars. My wife thought the police were going to be called thinking we had a meth lab in our basement based on the little explosions that were occurring all the time. And uh, But because I'm not a real chemist, I got lucky and made some mistakes that a real chemist wouldn't have made, came up with the basics of a technology. And that sort of takes us to, uh, you know, 2013 when we shipped our first bottles. Wow. That's really, really cool. So essentially what you've created is the ability to create very uh, high-end, thoughtful whiskeys in a fraction of the time that it typically takes. Can you break yeah, down not, what the typical amount of time it takes to make whiskey versus how fast you can do it? Well, and not only that, but it's it's not just a matter of time. So, you know, now uh, 70%, you know, anywhere from 60 to 80% of the flavor in a whiskey comes from the interaction of the wood in a barrel. And what happens in a barrel is every day you have a temperature swing and that temperature swing causes a slight pressure change inside that barrel, moves the alcohol in and out of the pore structure of the wood. But we only use oak. We use American white oak. We use some European oak, some Asian oaks, all of which have a similar grain pattern so that they hold liquid. I mean, barrels weren't invented for whiskey. 
or, or for wine, they were invented to store and, and move things. They've got a bulge in the middle, so you could roll them down a dirt road or up onto a ramp onto a ship, and oak held liquid. I'm sure that over time, once they discovered that you could get additional flavors in a whiskey, people probably experiment with all sorts of woods, as we have, but they leak like a sieve. You can't build a barrel out of apple wood or hickory wood or, or black walnut. It won't work. So what we do essentially is we use pressure-capable stainless steel tanks. Uh, we put a measured amount of wood in those tanks, control for moisture content, surface area, a whole range of other things, and use pressure variations to move the alcohol in and out of the pore structure of the wood, almost like squeezing a sponge in water. When you squeeze it, it's dry in your hand. When you let it go, the water rushes back into the pore structure. We do the same with spirits. There's some, you know, there's some patents and there's some trade secrets and things I won't go into, but that's the essence of what it is. And so we wind up being a technology company that can not only accelerate the process, which means R&D is a whole lot faster, but we use woods that you can't make a barrel from. So we can get these natural flavors from black cherry wood or hickory wood or sugar maple, making some amazing spirits that nobody else in the world can do. That's really cool. And I can uh, attest to the fact that I myself have enjoyed some of Cleveland Whiskey's products. And it is really cool because you get flavor profiles that you just never experience with other whiskeys. It's, it's really, really interesting. And we can do it without sugar or syrup or anything artificial. So it's, it's pretty cool. I like it. Yeah, it's, That's a, awesome. it's a fun job. What can I say? It, it is definitely a very fun job. I might struggle with it. <laughs> it's too fun for me. But um, so you know, you create this amazing technology, you create a brand that I think um, is a really strong brand and, and one that's really become very respected in the whiskey community. Can you tell us a little bit, you know, let's go back to 2016 and you decide to do a regulation crowdfunding offering, offer up equity in the Cleveland whiskey business for people to be able to partake and invest in, uh, in a part of Cleveland whiskey. Right. And I, I want to talk about this because you were literally one of the first companies, probably first two or three that ever listed yeah. Right. Um, on a platform. I remember the day, May 16, 2016, I was like one of the first people online to be able to yeah. sign up and invest in companies. And you were one of the first ones. And I did on that very day. Yeah. Um, so tell us about what that inspiration was, why you decided to go that route and what, what the experience was like. Well, it was actually years ago when uh, I was living in Boston at the time and uh, the Boston Celtics sold shares in their company for the first time. And I saw and, and I saw the discussion around it, and I saw what happened to all the fans who were now able to be part owners of this team that they loved, and how uh, season tickets went up, uh, attendance went up, people talked about it more. It just made the team more valuable by the very fact, and it wasn't about the money that they raised, it was the fact that now all of these people were owners, and it didn't cost that much to come in. So what I was thinking about it, it wasn't so much around the raising of the money, but it was a way to bring in um, brand evangelists and advocates for us as a brand. And we did over the course of two different uh, equity rounds, we brought in 1,632 investors, most wow. of them very small, around the world. And they are advocates of the brand. They, they, they buy it, but of course they talk about it, they share it with friends, and it has helped us grow tremendously. And that's been the key advantage for us. Um, and, and, you know, it's, we built a, a much larger database out of it, which creates value in our company as well, because it's not only investors, it's their friends, it's their family, it's their colleagues. And uh, it's, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, raising money, it's great that you can raise the money, but there are certainly other ways to raise money. But to build a team of advocates for your brand, 
it's priceless. So can you tell us about any, you know, cool wins or interesting things that came from having those people invested and then that opening some sort of door to help with the growth of Blue Whiskey? Um, yeah, so we're, we're certainly in a number of retailers we wouldn't have been in otherwise. Uh, we were introduced to a distributor in France uh, up until some of the sort of tariff chaos that has occurred over the recent years. That was doing well for us. And that was from a, an investor in Paris that invested in Cleveland whiskey. I mean, uh, you know, we, we were moving into Asia through those introductions as well, and we'll do them again. Uh, but certainly domestically, it always helps us. Um, it's helped us, uh, we're in 16 states now, it's helped us get distribution. Um, I, I, I just think that there's all sorts of examples of people wanting to, uh, you know, support the brand uh, because they are owners. When we, have, uh, when we have open houses, back when we could have open houses, you know, we have a relatively small space. We're building a much bigger one, but in our small space, and you've been in it, Chris, yeah. 800 people show up and, and go through the space in three hours. It was packed like sardines. Um, it was like being at a rock concert. I yeah, was so yeah. blown away. In that moment, I knew that like everything about this market was right because of that level of affection and excitement for the brand. It was literally, there was people trying to get into that building for like three hours and yeah, just constant yeah. stream of in and out, um, having an incredible party. It was amazing, amazing to see. And to think all of them were investors in the brand. It's I just know, that, that's an incredible thing. It's, it is incredible. It's amazing. And, and it, you know, it, it's interesting how people come up to you at an event and say, thank you for doing this. And, uh, you know, thanking for letting me be a part owner in this. Thank you for letting us invest. And, uh, you know, I thank them, you know, they're, they're the ones who are helping us, but it's just, it's created a real family. And I, I think it's wonderful. No, it's very cool. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because um, when you first came on, it was like this totally unknown thing that you could do this to raise capital from the public uh, when you're a private company. But I think you were probably uh, the exact reason why the Jobs Act was ever created was this idea of reinvesting in America, right? And, mm -hmm. and finding mm -hmm. new capital sources to help businesses get off the ground and scale yeah. up. And you were in, you know, in Cleveland in a, in a city that really needs new businesses to be able to flourish. Um, yeah. And you've done some really amazing things since raising that capital. I'd love to hear a little bit about one, how you've used the capital to date to grow your business, um, mm -hmm. which I think is a wonderful story of what you've been able to do. And two, how you're raising capital now and what that's allowing you to do as a business as well. Well, I think in terms of the previous rounds, you know, a lot of it was helping to continue to build our technology. I mean, I, I like to think that what we make today is better than what we were making six months ago. That was better than what we made the year before. And it's all because of constant R&D and the expense that goes into it and the amount of stuff that, you know, uh, essentially gets poured down the drain. Obviously, we don't just pour it down the drain, but, but things that we discard because we feel we have the financial flexibility to constantly experiment and make new things and introduce new products. And uh, so we can do that much faster. Um, I think also it got us to profitability. I mean, we, uh, in 2019, that was our first profitable year. 2020 was our second profitable year. Uh, and it really, uh, you know, it just made a difference. It made a difference because we had some, we had some of that extra funding beyond what we were doing from operations that let us, um, you know, explore different technologies, explore uh, new product introductions. And without uh, the catastrophic risk of, you know, of, or the risk of catastrophic failures where you would run out of money. And uh, uh, it just let us, frankly, it let us be a little more entrepreneurial.
Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, you know, if you can be profitable, but then have the capital to take the next steps as a business, right? That's that's what is so important. Um, so let's talk about some of those reinvestments you're making right now with the current round of funding. Sure. Well, well, now we have outgrown our space. We've sort of gotten to the limits of our, our production capacity, and we have we have more demand than orders we can. Uh, we have more orders than uh, the demand we can fill. We just can't keep up with production. So we've been looking for a new building. We finally found one. Uh, it's ten times our current space. It'll increase our production capacity by twenty times. Uh, but it's going to cost some money to get in there and some work and yeah. effort. In fact, my days now are spent in meetings with uh, architects and engineers and accountants and lawyers, and it's all about the building, but it's, a, it's exciting. So, so because we got to profitability, we said, you know, we can actually afford now some additional debt, but let's go back to the same people that we've been talking to who know our company, who are fans of our company, who are already our investors, see if they want to extend and, and in a sense, diversify their investment a little bit. So we put together a, a thing we call a whiskey bond. It's really a promissory note. Um, it's a six-year discount note, uh, pays 5%. So it's a very competitive rate, uh, given, especially when you compare it to CDs and you know, other instruments sure. that a small investor can get. Uh, and the interesting twist we put on it is that, that at maturity, uh, you have the option as an investor to take um, uh, some or all or, or, or none of it as whiskey. So we will, uh, if people take it as either a bourbon or rye and they establish up front what they want to go into a barrel, it's asset backed because we're putting aside barrels for all of these investments. So when you make an investment, you're assigned to a specific barrel, that barrel, when it's mature, we will take it, we will finish it again, we will do some additional finishing, which we do with our technology with black cherry wood in this case. And then you can take a number of bottles and we will personalize them, we'll put your name on it, the date that, uh, uh, that the barrel was filled, the date that it was bottled, uh, it'll be barrel proof, non-chill filtered. Um, the younger version of this, uh, uh, is already, we just released it, you know, fairly recently. It's won a whole series of gold medals. I think it does really, really well in both the bourbon and rye versions where we finished with black cherry wood. So it's a unique twist on a sort of classic, you know, promissory note. Um, That's really cool. It's a little different. So the first two rounds of funding were equity, correct? And, right. and how much money did you raise across those two rounds? Uh, a little less than 2 million. A little less than 2 yeah, million we did, from... We did, over a thousand investors, right? Yeah, one, uh, like about 1,600 investors. You know, we had some early angels and some larger investors up front. Sure. Uh, and, but we brought in just about 1,600 people, you know, with smaller investments. I think the average investment was, well, I don't even know what it, what it was. But, but it, was, it, wasn't that, it wasn't that large. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and which, was, which was great. I liked that. Um, with what we're doing now, we set a, a, a minimum of a thousand dollar investment. Uh, a full barrel is five thousand, but a minimum investment of a thousand dollars, which allows us the flexibility to actually print labels and the right amounts and the logistics sure. and converting uh, a certain amount into bourbon or rye. Um, so I would have liked to have set a little bit lower, but it was the only way we could really do it logistically. So it's cool to have you, you know, having raised equity, and now you're basically raising debt. So you've used both instruments in this market. Um, any differences in the raise process for you in going through that experience and, and prepping for the actual raise? Uh, a little bit. There was a little bit, you know, a little different sort of on the legal side, uh, you know, all, and also the portals. Uh, it was a, it's sort of a different experience for them as well. And I had to convince them uh, that 
this was something worth doing, that it could be done, it could be done legally, and yep. it really fits within regulation crowdfunding. And yes, we're going to convert some things to whiskey in the end, but we comply with all the state laws and all federal laws and everything else. But it was sort of like I had to sell it to the, the portals first and say, you know, here's, you know, here's what I'm planning on doing. It's a little bit different. Um, That's yeah. really cool. And, and any, um, I'm curious to hear in your experience, having done all of these raises across several years, um, what are the, the pluses that you have found from typical capital raising that you've enjoyed about the Reg CF experience? And I know, you know, having a crowd is obviously one element, but if there's any other benefits that you found and enjoyed, and what are the, the downsides and negatives for founders who are considering doing a raise via this mechanism? Uh, so on the plus side, I think it allows us to have, um, longer and broader conversations uh, because we have so much material that we put together in advance, whether it's video or documents or whatever, uh, the, the Q&A process, um, uh, the ability for people to look at the questions that other people ask and how we reply to those questions, I think is important as well. Um, uh, it's, I think it's just that it's almost like, even though it's all done online, pretty much, it's almost like an extended conversation. Whereas with traditional investors, you have briefer conversations that are a little more intense. You get to a, a no, a yes or a no, or, you know, until you get to where there might be a term sheet, you know, it's a little bit different. And I like that we can have these long conversations and really thoroughly explain what we're trying to do. Um, so, so that's a real positive and obviously the positive of building the community and everything else. I just love that. On the downside, uh, it's a relatively expensive way to raise money. Uh, you know, there's a lot of work that has to go into it. You know, a lot of attorney fees and accounting fees. And, you know, especially when we did it the first time, it was more expensive because we didn't know what we were doing and really nobody knew what they were doing. <laughs> Uh, it's a little time consuming, you know, for the amount that you, the amount that you raise in terms of my whole team is involved. Um, and then we made the mistake. We made the mistake of doing our first round and our second round as an LLC. Mm. And, and we realized at the end of the first tax year that now we had to send K-1s to all of these investors. So every year for two, for a couple of years there, from when we started in 2016, up until this past year, we converted to a, a corporation on January 1st of, of, uh, of 2020. But uh, we would all sit in a room and we would be mailing K-1s, double checking, triple checking that the right document got in the right envelope and matched the mailing address. And then getting back all the returns from people who had moved during the course of the year and K-1s was a bear. Uh, yeah. So, so my, my, first, my first recommendation, because people ask me and they call and say, gee, can you spend a few minutes talking about crowdfunding and your experiences? I tell, I tell them, number one, don't, do, don't be an LLC. Make sure you're a corporation. Your reporting will be much, much less. And then number two, start with an existing database because you have to market you don't just put your offering out on a portal and expect people to find it. It's like anything else. You've got to market and bring people in. I can definitely attest to that. I too uh, went down that road and, and learned those lessons, uh, you know, perhaps the hard way, but have also gone through the conversion process. And, and know for this market, it definitely makes the most amount of sense uh, to not be set up as an LLC going yeah. into it. Um, so since 
you kind of come into this market, are there any things you've seen evolve in terms of how Reg CF is run, how acceptance of investing in alternative assets like a whiskey company when they're private uh, is perceived? You know, have you seen changes yourself during uh, these four or five years now? Uh, well, I think number one, more more businesses are going into it. And I think the investors have to take a critical eye at those investments. I mean, there, there are certainly a whole lot more, uh, but it, you know, just like any investment, you have to do your own due diligence as an investor, whether you're investing $500 or half a million dollars uh, and look at the financials and go through what you should for that. I just think there, there's so many choices now. It can be easy to sort of invest in things that yeah, I'm not sure that's going to really, because you want to return. Sure. Uh, this is investment. It's not a Kickstarter. You know, it's not to get a nonprofit started. This is you're investing in businesses that you expect will turn a profit and have a liquidity invented at some point. Um, I think that the thing, the next thing that's coming and you know, there are already, you know, a couple of companies that are pushing it are the secondary markets for regulation yeah. funders. I think that's, that's going to be more important because not all of us will be able to go public. Not all of us will be acquired or merged and people need an avenue to get some liquidity. And uh, it's, it's not there yet, but it is coming. Uh, you know, we're exploring a couple of options now. And I think over the course of the next year, we'll see more uh, where there will be some sort of secondary market or exchange for shares or membership units or whatever they are that are bought on uh uh, on as part of regulation crowdfunding. Absolutely. Um, when we think about your business, where you were in 2016, you know, number of employees, sales, square footage of your facility to where you are today. Can you tell us a little bit about how that looks and how you progress? Uh, well, we're certainly more than double the size uh, in the same space because we feel that every day. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we're just we're we're just larger, more mature. Uh, you know, we're big, we're making better products. We have more products in the market. Uh, we're winning more. You know, double gold and gold and platinum and best of show awards. So we're doing we're doing better. And and the funding helped us get to that stage. Uh, I think we have a the strongest management team that we've ever had. And and again, it's helped us recruit good people. Um, uh, you know, and, and not just the management team, I, we have the strongest team we've ever had, period. Uh, and I think that's been really good. And some of that has been because of, in, you know, internal training that's been done and the work that we've done as well. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, our revenues now are you know, consistently over $2 million. And that's a good thing. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, we've had our second profitable year. And already in this year, we're beating the numbers we had from the year before. So, uh, you know, all is, all is pretty good. Uh, you know, Chris, if it's okay, I, I want to make sure we give out the URL for my current whiskey bond. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so it's at clevelandwhiskey.com slash invest, uh, clevelandwhiskey.com slash invest. And it is um, on the WeFunder platform. You can find it there, but the easiest way is just to go through uh, and it'll redirect you to where we are. And we're there closing that out on March 1st. And uh, we're, I think when I looked at it earlier, we were almost at a million dollars. So there's not a whole lot of room left in that one. That's awesome. Um, a couple of questions here. So first off, uh, the facility you're moving into, how, how, what's the square footage of that? I know you had told me and I was really, really impressed by it. I think when it's all done, it'll be close to 30,000 because we're going to do outbuildings as well. And what's um, the facility you're in now? 
uh, well, our production area is 2,600. <laughs> so, and we have some offices and some storage and we've taken over a lot of hallways in the building and everything else. So we're using more than that, but sure. and yeah, it's a major difference. And, and it's a, it's a historical building. Um, yeah. It was once a fruit and vegetable auction company. It's right on the river. Uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to rehab it and take it, take it back, but also modernize it and uh, also turn it into sort of a technology center. You know, when you go on a tour at a, you know, down in uh, Kentucky and you go on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, which is fascinating. And I think people should absolutely do it, but they talk about their history and the great, great grandparents recipe and everything else. And, and, and it's a, a, a wonderful story uh, to hear, but we don't have that. Again, we're a technology company that also is a craft distiller. So we're gonna feature technologies, uh, you know, uh, use of CO2, for instance, to help grow uh, plants and greenhouses, uh, you know, and, and just just things that you sort of, sort of wouldn't expect in a distillery, and it'll be pretty good. That's, I, I just wanted to help people understand the magnitude of how you're progressing as an organization. I think it's really, really impressive, and it, it, again, gets to the core of what I care so much about, which is investing you know, in businesses, in our country, American-made product, all of those things. I mean, it, it's so incredibly important, especially during a time like this. Um, and I, I think what you're doing is just exceptional. And I, I wanted you to speak about one more story that I know uh, you and I had chatted about a little while back. Uh, near the beginning of COVID, when everything, you know, was really going south, um, you guys stepped up and, and you did something really interesting. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about uh, what that experience was and what you guys did to help during COVID. Sure. Well, I think like a lot of uh, my colleagues in this space, in the distilling space, uh, you know, we realized that we could make hand sanitizer. We, we are alcohol producers and there was a shortage. That was one of the things that, that just people were running out and they couldn't get it anywhere for any price. And uh, we were about to do it. This was in early March. We were, you know, having discussions about, okay, how do we do it? How do we move some people around? How do we make it happen? How are we going to fund it even? And um, I got a call from uh, one of the lead pharmacists at the Cleveland Clinic. Cleveland Clinic is a huge, you know, international uh, healthcare system uh, here in Ohio. There's 51,000 frontline healthcare workers. And they said, uh, and apparently that pharmacy manager had been on a tour of Cleveland Whiskey, one of our regular tours. So she knew who we were. She called and said, would you consider, you know, making or helping us make hand sanitizers? I said, absolutely, we will. She asked, well, what type of agreement do we have and how much is it going to cost? And I said, we're going to have a virtual handshake agreement and it's not going to cost a cent. We will do it. We'll do it because we have a very simple mission statement at Cleveland Whiskey. It's every day, make good whiskey and do the right thing. So it just sort of fit. It fit perfectly. So they helped us by sending over some pharmacists, helping with some of the original blending. Uh, we donated everything. We never charged a dime. Not only did we provide thousands and thousands of gallons to them, but we also made sure we got it out to uh, the, the entire region's uh, nursing homes, fire stations, police stations, everywhere that needed it that we could. Um, and because we were donating uh, everything, there was, uh, it, it was mentioned in some news story, and then we started getting donations. We got donations of boxes and plastic bottles, and Procter & Gamble even came in and helped us. And, and we were just... Uh, uh, overwhelmed somewhat with the generosity of all these other folks who said, look, you know, you're trying to do your part. We'll do what we can to help you. Trucking companies, there were other small distilleries in the region uh, that helped us. And uh, because of that, we were able to leverage a lot and, and do a lot. But um, 
It just sort of fit with our mission statement. It helped us. I, I, our salespeople who could no longer go out because bars and restaurants were closing or they couldn't do personal visits, we brought them inside and they were bottling hand sanitizer. So mm-hmm. we, didn't, we didn't lay anybody off. We didn't furlough anybody. And, you know, of course, we took advantage of some of the government programs. We did the, you know, uh, payroll protection program. We got some low interest loans that helped us through some of the toughest times uh, that we went through. But um, it made us even stronger as a team. And, uh, you know, and we just sort of it was a way to give back to the community a little bit. And that's what we tried to do. That's outstanding. Well, um, congratulations on everything you have accomplished. Thank you for the things that you've done, especially during this time. Um, I think you've really been a, a wonderful story for this market and have proven that this really is an effective tool for raising capital and, and being a driver of uh, growth in an actual business um, that's, that's creating jobs and keeping jobs. Um, so I think all of that is wonderful. And as you mentioned earlier, if you go to WeFunder, you can find their current raise uh, yeah. if you're interested in investing. But thank you so much for your time, Tom. As always, really appreciated it and uh, great conversation uh, and good luck to you guys. It was my pleasure, Chris. I hope you get out here again soon. Yes, sounds great. All right. Have a wonderful day. Take care now. Thanks a lot. You take care. Bye.